It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Reds fans? My name is Jeff Carr, and you are Locked on Reds. And here we go. For this week, I hope you guys are ready to settle in here. No, I'm just kidding. It's not like we're settling in for something bad. We're talking about baseball. We're talking about minor league baseball, the Reds farm system, and just for that occasion, I've got the guru, the grand poobah, the man who knows it all. When it comes to the Reds farm system, Doug Gray is back with me. Doug, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. It's it's coming down to the very last day, possibly, of the season right now for the minor leagues, but, uh, you know, it <laughs> it's... It's been interesting. We'll, we'll we'll get into that a little bit more, but I'm not going to lie. I'm I'm kind of excited for the season to, to really kind of end and kind of get into the the off-season portion of my minor league coverage and work. It's going to be a very interesting one because they've got the Reds do have some key higher level guys that are running out of options and things of that nature and we're going to dive into all of that here in just a moment but you had a post on redsminorleagues.com and if you guys have not checked it out I, I want to start off our minor league talk with this post and it was should the minor leagues even exist do they matter and I kind of wanted to get your take on it because I know it's a great post if you guys haven't checked it out head on over to the website and look it up it was something that you had seen at 538. Is it 538.com? Yes. Yeah, 538.com. When they were talking about how the Astros have really gone more toward the cameras, the edutronics, and all that different stuff for development, and they're not necessarily focusing on the game, is that something that you see the Reds employing more of as we move forward these next couple of years? I mean, yes and no. Um... I guess we'll start off with the the premise of the article itself, and then if I if I get sidetracked, just kind of kick me back onto the right right uh, topic yeah, here. But sure. um, the the article basically now the headline was very misleading. Um, I, I don't blame the author for this. There's a dirty little secret for those who aren't in journalism. Uh, the the author of the article very rarely gets to decide on the actual title of the article. That's done by the editor. Um, this was a very clearly clickbaity title. Um, which was, you know, does Major League Baseball even need the minor leagues? Uh, of course they need the minor leagues. Like, of course they do. You know, you're drafting kids at 17, 18 years old. You're signing kids out of, you know, Latin America. Um, you know, it's it, it 16, 17 years old. Those guys, of course, they need minor leagues. They're not ready to play in the majors. Like, it, it was very misleading. But, you know, it, it gets people to click, and, well, that's how people make money, and yada, yada, yada. Um, but what the author was basically trying to say was, you know, do we need as many teams for one? Um, and he focused on the Astros, who have in recent years cut the amount of teams that they have. They've gone from nine to seven teams in their minor league farm system. Um, and the, the Reds have also kind of gone that route a little bit. Um, we'll, we'll try and keep this as Red centric as possible. Um, 
the Reds are actually the beneficiaries of the Astros cutting one of their teams two years ago. Um, the Astros used to operate the team in Greenville, which is now the Greenville Reds. The Reds bought that team from them and took it over. Uh, but they didn't add a team. They also, when they made that maneuver, they eliminated one of their Dominican Summer League teams. And when I asked some of the Reds people about that, um, the idea was that in the Dominican Republic, at their complex there, there's only so much space. Now, at that level, the players live on site. You know, they have dorms or apartments, whatever you want to call them, um, for the players. They have their own cafeteria, training room, all, everything. They're schooling. It's all in one place. Uh, big campus-like facility. Um, and the idea there was that if we have fewer players here, we can focus our efforts more uh, with each individual player. And there's definitely something to that idea. Um, and, you know, the Astros basically were saying kind of the same thing, but on a, on a larger scale, um, because, it, you know, the Reds are just doing it at that one complex going from, you know, let's say 60 players to 30 players or, you know, maybe 70 players to 35 players. I don't know the exact numbers because not everybody's active. Some guys are rehabbing, whatever. Um, and so the Astros are kind of trying to do that on, on a larger scale with their entire organization. Um and so there, there's that side of it. Now, you can also counter that with the idea that, well, you know, most of these guys aren't going to make it anyways. So having more of them makes your odds likely higher to find the guys that are going to make it. Uh, so I, I do think there's something to be said about both sides of that. I mean, like the New York Yankees have nine farm teams. Um, two years ago, they had 10 farm teams. So even them, you know, they're cutting down a little bit. But, you know, when you have 350 roster spots for minor leaguers rather than 250, that's that's significant. Like you you increase your odds of finding players that way. Um, now the development part of it is where you know the article was trying to focus, and a lot of it went around the idea that you know the time played in the games on the field isn't what it used to be, because back then, and I mean we're talking when I say back then, I mean literally like four and five years ago, that was one of the better ways that you could get information on the players. It was the best way that the players could get information on, you know, what they're doing, whether it's working or not working. The feedback of, hey, I'm hitting well with this new swing changer. I'm not hitting well with this swing. I need to make this change. Or in a pitcher's case, hey, this changeup isn't working. This curveball isn't working. Like the feedback from the other players on the other side was kind of telling you what was or wasn't working and what you needed to work on. Sure. Well, now, you know, you mentioned the Edgertronic cameras, for example. Uh, for those who are unaware, they're high-speed cameras that record, I think, uh, up to 5,000 frames per second. Now, when you're watching your TV at home, you're probably watching something somewhere between 24 frames a second and 60 frames a second. Um, you know, if you... You buy a new TV, you, you'll see something like, you know, it's got, you know, 120 hertz, 240 hertz. Those are the higher end TVs. And honestly, most broadcasts can't handle that anyways. Uh, but when they say hertz on your TV, that's basically frames per second. So we're talking incredibly high speed cameras here. And the Astros got into that four or five years ago. Um, the Reds, this was the first year that the Reds kind of had their access to those kinds of things and every team in baseball pretty much has those now uh in in fact um one of the companies that supplies the cameras was out of stock by january of this year there were teams on waiting lists to try and get them in time for the season and they didn't uh the reds did get some in time for the season um 
But what teams are doing now is using those and using that to kind of look at like very, very like small areas of players' mechanics, uh, the pitcher's release point. They want to see exactly what's going on in his wrist finger area when they release the pitch because the feedback you can get on that when you look at what that pitch does, it, it's immediate. You can go, hey, this is why this pitch did this versus when you threw it this way, it did that. Um, and we, we've seen articles, and I, I wish that I remembered who wrote them, but basically pitchers this spring that were just kind of getting their first taste of this, um, they were saying like the, the fact that you can show me with that kind of detail – that, you know, we could never see before, like, it makes everything easier to adjust. Like, you know, things that used to take months to kind of figure out when you're looking at just regular video, um, you know, you're kind of just kind of guessing and checking at that point. Whereas when you can look at it and slow it down to just incredibly slow amounts of time and see exactly what's going on, the feedback loop is very small and very quick. And so, you know, things like that, you don't need the games as much to kind of get that, hey, this is or isn't working situation. Um, and, and basically that's what they were getting around to is that, you know, these these technological advances, you know, we watch baseball nowadays and when guys hit home runs, you know, they show the you know exit velocity, the, the launch angle, how far it went. You know, they'll track the ball, right? right? Well, they've got those set up in batting cages now. And so it can use the amount of travel that the ball has within the batting cage and show you what it would have done in any stadium in baseball. Um, you don't need to actually go out there and have batting practice, so to speak, to see what's going on. You can get that feedback. Um, you know, Things like that, they kind of, in a way, they do eliminate some of the I need a game situation to see what's going to happen here. And that that's basically the gist of the article was that, you know, the training facilities – give us the kind of information and sometimes better information now than the games do. Um, and so Travis Sawchick, who was the guy that wrote the article was kind of just getting around the idea that, you know, maybe the games aren't as important as they used to be. Not necessarily. Should we just eliminate the minor leagues? Um, and I, I think that there are some really good points there uh, within the article um, as far as just pure baseball related you know, from point A of being drafted or signed to becoming a major leaguer in terms of the training and regimen goes. That, you know, there's a lot of good things to put on the side of, you know, what we've been doing for the most part is what we've been doing since 1930. And, you know, that doesn't, I mean, when you really think about it, not much stuff we do today is as efficient as, it, or in 1930 is as efficient as we do it today. Um, and so you know, that that's kind of the point they're making. Now, one of the things that I brought up is, and I think that this is actually very important, is minor league baseball helps grow the game of baseball. If you live in Cincinnati, who cares about minor league baseball? You can go watch the Reds. If you live in the middle of Montana, the middle of Iowa, like there's not a team anywhere close to you that plays major league baseball. Right. Uh, you know, the, if you're in Billings, Montana, the closest team is the Colorado Rockies that's 530 miles away. The next closest team is the Seattle Mariners who are 880 miles away. Like you're, you and your family are not going to be able to go to that game, but you and your family can probably choose three different minor league games to go to on any given weekend, and it'll cost you 20 bucks in gas to drive out of Billings, Montana to some other place, see a game, buy four tickets for your family for $45, and you know make a good little weekend out of it. You know you want to go see a, a game in Cincinnati uh, with a family of four, 
even if you live in Cincinnati, I mean, what's that going to cost you? 80, 90 bucks if you sit in the upper levels? Right. Uh, you know, it, Major League Baseball's kind of been pounding the, the, you know, the pavement on, you know, how do we get more young people into the game? Well, uh, Minor League Baseball helps get young people into the game who don't necessarily live in Major League Baseball cities. Uh, and if, if you're going to try and grow the game or even just kind of try and keep your interest level where it's at rather than have it decline even more, I, I think that Minor League Baseball is a pretty big thing to look at there. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your next live event. Enter promo code KICKOFF at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. That's KICKOFF in the Vivid Seats app. So there I was, completely comfortable, sitting on the couch, had the Reds game on, it was late in the game, and I was getting hungry, and I remembered. I hadn't gone to the store in a while, and I wasn't about to go to the store to get something that I had to bring back and cook, but I really didn't want to go sit and wait in a drive through line either. That is where Postmates is perfect. Today, you can download the Postmates app. If you have not already done this, I urge you, do it. Download the Postmates app and enter promo code LOCKED ON. You're going to get $100 in free delivery for your first seven days. Postmates is an amazing delivery service. It's your personal food delivery, grocery delivery, whatever kind of delivery you need all year round. And the best part about it is you don't even need to know where the restaurant or the store or whatever it is you need. You don't even need to know where that is. You can just download the Postmates app, get on Postmates, whatever you're craving, Postmates will bring it right to you. I've gotten Chipotle. I've gotten Jersey Mike's. You can get the whole spectrum. I mean, if you just want a piece of pie and maybe a cup of coffee, Postmates will bring it right to you, and they can deliver to you anytime, day or night, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. Just download the Postmates app and enter promo code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N for your $100 in free delivery credit today. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. Let's jump into... The season review, and I want to start, before we jump into each specific team, I, I, I want to start with the awards that you've given out. You have given out a couple of awards already, one being Player of the Year, Hitter of the Year, and Pitcher of the Year. We'll start by looking at the awards. Player of the Year, he's currently on the Major League roster right now, hit his first ever Major League home run just a few days ago. We are, of course, talking about Brian O'Grady, and I just wanted to kind of get you detailed thoughts on what gave him the award. I know he was just crushing it in AAA. Yeah, he was, and you know, when it came down to the the player of the year, really, for me, there were only three guys that were kind of even in the conversation. Uh, Brian O'Grady, Aristides Aquino, and a player that I hope that you've all heard of, but I bet maybe five of you listening have actually heard of, uh, Jose Acosta who spent almost all of his season playing for the Dominican Summer League Reds. Uh, but we'll, we'll get into him in a little bit. With Brian O'Grady, uh, the reason I gave him the award, uh, well, I mean, first off, he crushed the ball in AAA. He hit 280 with a 359 on base percentage. He slugged 550. Uh, 
He tied Aristides Aquino for the organizational lead with 28 home runs. Um, and, you know, he had 30 doubles, a triple, and he also stole 20 bases. And he did that while playing first base, third base, left field, right field, and center field. I mean, it, that's a pretty valuable player, right? Right. Um, now, if, if you guys did have a higher OPS than he did, uh, Aristides Aquino being one of them, um, as I mentioned, you know, he tied Aquino with 28 home runs. Now, he did play significantly more than Aristides Aquino did. Uh, he had uh, 489 plate appearances to Aquino's 323. And I know if you're thinking, well, they, they both had 28 home runs, and didn't Aquino have the better season? Well, sort of. Uh, he definitely had the higher OPS, 992 to 909. And there's something to be said about that. Uh, but Brian O'Grady also had 50% more playing time. And I think that he was a much more valuable defender. Uh, and, you know, those games played do matter. You know, he, he, he got on base a lot more because he, he played a lot more. But, you know, he had a 17-double advantage over Aquino, too. Like, there there was a lot more there than just the home runs. So, uh, for that reason, it made it very easy to choose O'Grady over Aquino, for example. Um, and then we'll, we'll get into a little bit more with Jose Acosta in a little bit as to why he was chosen over him. But overall, I, I just think that Brian O'Grady was, was the easy choice because, you know, he just he played a lot more. Than, than Aristides Aquino did because Aquino missed basically an entire month uh, recovering from a shoulder injury earlier in the season. Absolutely. And, and everyone, when you look at the numbers, and, and there's some folks that have said, oh, well, they they got a, a different ball in AAA now, and that's why his numbers are so much better. Well, everyone hit the same ball, so he was just killing it even more so than most people. And very awesome. I'm, I'm very glad that the Reds gave him a shot in the major leagues. Yeah, I, I agree, and you know, and they're right. They're right too. I mean, the, the ball in AAA and in the major leagues, it's a different baseball than everybody else is using. Uh, it's definitely juiced. It's definitely flying, unlike the balls used in AA and below. Uh, but you know, as you said, you know, everybody else in AAA was using that ball too, and they most of them didn't do what Brian O'Grady did. Um, you know, he was he was among the league leaders in most offensive categories for most of the season. Um, you know, he he got called up for most of August. You know, he went back down. Um, for about a week at one point before he got called back up. But uh, before he went back, or, uh, before he was called up, he, w- he was right there near the top of the league in most offensive categories. So, uh, yeah, as you said, most guys weren't doing what he was. Right. And then we move on into pitcher of the year. And now this guy, uh, I got to confess, he's probably, no, he's not probably, he is my favorite Reds minor leaguer. And a lot of it comes from the name. But I did also watch him pitch a little bit in Dayton last year, and I liked what I saw. That is Packy Naughton, just an all-time name. Really hope he makes a major league soon, but tell me a bit about Packy. Uh, he started the year in Daytona. Uh, he made nine starts, posted a 2.63 ERA, uh, nine walks, 50 strikeouts, and 51.1 innings. Uh, clearly was dominating. Now, that's a that's a pitcher's league, a pitcher-friendly league. The ball doesn't really fly there, but uh, th- those numbers are a little bit better than your average starting pitcher in Daytona would be. And so the, the Reds were pretty confident that he was ready for the next step, and he got promoted in late May up to Double H Chattanooga where he finished out the season. Uh, you know, overall, uh, 3.32 ERA and 157 innings this season. Now, as I wrote in the article, it was not a good year for starting pitching in the Cincinnati Reds organization. Um, you know, they none of their top prospects performed well. Hunter Green got hurt at the end of spring training. He didn't pitch at all this year, had Tommy John surgery. Uh, Tony Santion dealt with numerous injuries over the season. 
Um, didn't really miss much time until August when he missed most of August with a shoulder strain, although uh, the Reds do feel pretty confident that he's going to be okay from that. Um, but when he was on the on the mound, he, he didn't exactly perform very well. Um, you know, they, they just didn't really have those top-end guys that kind of had a good season this year, and realistically, they didn't have too many guys that weren't top-end guys that had good seasons either, um, at, at least in the, the full-season leagues. So you've got Packy Naughton sitting here with a 3.32 ERA with 157 innings, which led the organization by far. Uh, easy, easy choice, easy choice. And that's not to take anything from Packy Naughton. I think that his his season this year would have been in contention in, in most of the past seasons too. It may not have won, but at least he, he would have been in the conversation for the top two or three. That's awesome. And I noticed with his upward movement, uh, how quickly do you think he moves through the organization from here? Um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if next year he were back in double A. Um, you know, he, he spent about eh, two thirds of the season there this year. Uh, but, you know, packing Naughton, he's more of a, you know, fringe number five kind of starting prospect than, uh, you know, a, a guy who you look forward to is, you know, maybe a guy you can throw in the middle of your rotation. I think that they're going to want to get some more information on him and see what he does. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he started in AAA next year, uh, but I, I think it could go either way. I, I don't think he's going to be a fast mover, so to speak. I, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if we saw him at some point next year in the major leagues, but um, it, it would be something I don't think the Reds are planning on seeing next year either. I, I think that he's a guy that they are they're hoping who you know he continues to do what he did this year, but I, I don't think that you know their plans are. You know, this guy's going to be a guy we're, we're building around, um, you know, sometime in the second half next year either. Next guy we're looking at, you've mentioned him before, the hitter of the year for the Reds minor league organization. Uh, Jose Acosta, one of the more interesting guys um, on the farm system this year. Now, he's a 19-year-old switch hitter who spent most of his year uh, in the Dominican Summer League, which is that's the lowest level of the minor leagues that you can get. Um, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, he uh, he hit 403 this season for them. Um, yeah, 403 batting average, 503 on base percentage, and he slugged 611. Oh, and he also stole 24 bases without being caught for them this year. Um, his, his performance was was pretty good. And then uh, the Reds called him up to the uh, Arizona Rookie League for the final two weeks of their season. He played in 10 games there, and he he just hit 370. So you know whatever. Um, but overall in the season, he fell one hit short of hitting 400 for the entire year. Uh, he finished with a 395 average. He went 77 for 195 on the season uh, with 17 doubles, five triples, three home runs, and stole 26 bases. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good season, I would say. And, you know, usually I don't hand out the Hitter of the Year award to somebody in rookie ball, much less somebody who, uh, you know, spent most of the time in the Dominican Summer League where, you know, basically, it's it's a glorified high school league. Most of the guys playing there are 17, 18, 19 years old. You, you're you're going to find some guys that are a little bit older than that, but, I mean, there's a large majority of the people in the league are 17, 18, 19 years old. So the, the competition level is iffy, I guess is the word I want to use there. Not, not to say that the guys are bad. They're just very uh, unrefined. Um, and you're going to find guys that are way too good to be in that league, and you're going to find some guys that probably shouldn't be in that league in terms of, you know, getting the playing time they are right now. Um, but, you know, when a guy goes out and hits 403, yeah, you know, you, 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 you got you to give him some recognition for that one. 
Right. So, you know, it, it's the highest batting average that anybody's had in the Reds organization since 1978 when Gary Reed is hit in, I still can't wrap my head around this, 462 for the Billings Mustangs. Um, <laughs> like, I, I don't know how one hits 462, but, uh, but Gary Reed just did it in 1978. But, yeah, so what Jose Acosta did this year was incredible. Um, it, you know, it, again, it came down to the last game of the year he needed um, – I believe he needed two hits uh, on that day, and he he only got one. So he just he just missed hitting 400 for the season overall. So what I'm hearing is there's room for improvement. Uh, I mean, technically <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, no, that's that. I mean, heck, anytime you can hit 400, just it, even even at the lower rungs. I mean, even kids in high school that hit 400, you, it it kind of makes you stop and think about it for a minute. You're like, dang, even. At that rate, everyone has a bad day, but it sounds like a bad day for him is just two hits instead of three, or or one instead of two. Yeah, I mean, let's 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 talk about this. You know, he got called up to the Arizona Rookie League for those last two weeks. He played in ten games. He had two hits in seven of those games and still <laughs> only hit three seventy. Like, think about how insane that is. Right. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, I'm definitely going to keep my eye on his development because that that's phenomenal. The last one that we're going to look at, the Reds Minor League Organization Reliever of the Year. Now, for this award came down to basically two guys, Alex Powers and Joel Kunal. Uh, both of them split their season between AA and AAA this year. Uh, I wound up going with Alex Powers. Um, he threw 49.1 innings this year with a 1.64 ERA. He had eight saves between the two teams. Uh, he gave up 34 hits, just three home runs, and he struck out 66 batters. Um, I'm actually a little bit surprised at this point that they didn't give him a September call-up. He's not on the 40-man roster, so there's a little bit to that, but I feel like that he's a free agent after the year, too. And if you're going to be that guy, then, you know, it's not like they don't have, you know, clearly somebody in the organization likes him. Last year, he had a 2.34 ERA in AA, and they sent him to the Arizona Fall League. So clearly they saw <laughs> something that they liked. And then this year, he goes out and does this, and doesn't get a September call-up. I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that this is a guy they probably should have given a look at. Uh, you know, he he's not some big overpowering guy. He doesn't throw 98 miles an hour like Joel Kunal does. But, you know, he, he throws 92 to 95. It's not like there's nothing there. He's not some guy out there just, you know, slinging up Bronson Arroyo stuff, getting out minor league guys, which no offense to Bronson Arroyo, but, you know, he's not out there throwing, you know, in the mid-80s either. So, you know, there, there's at least – something that you could look at and be like, maybe this will work. Let's see. Um, so I was a little bit surprised by that, but I, I think that he clearly was the best reliever in the organization this year. Um, and I, I mean, the numbers back that up pretty easily in my opinion. Well, that's all right. And I'm with you. I mean, you get those kind of numbers, September call up. I mean, you should be all over that, but that that's a weird one. Um, Looking at these four guys of the the player of the year, who obviously is already in the major leagues, the pitcher, the reliever, and the hitter of the year, who do you think has the best major league career of the four? I mean, it's easy to pick Brian O'Grady here because he's already in the major leagues. So if nothing else, he's got a major league career already. None of the other guys do. Um I, I still think I'd probably go with Brian O'Grady just because I, I think that if nothing else, he probably could carve out some sort of utility player future. Uh, you know, he can run. 
he can, I mean, he, we've seen him play center field in the big leagues already. I don't think he's a guy that's going to play out there every day, but as we've seen, he can cover you out there as a backup fielder. Uh, he can play first, he can play left, he can play right. Uh, he's played a little bit of third in the minor leagues. I don't think that's going to happen in the major leagues, but you know, he's got versatility. He's got power. He's got speed. I mean, that's, that's a utility profile. Um, and so I, I think, and he's already there. So I, I it's very easy to pick him there. And I, I think that, you know, uh, you know, Packy Naughton would probably be the next guy just because he's a lefty. They're going to get a million chances. And it's not like he's devoid of stuff. He's got a little bit of stuff. It's just probably something you're probably going to see more as a, a sixth inning reliever type who could be your number five starter if your original number five starter goes away for whatever reason. Guys get hurt, you know, lack of performance, whatever. Um, I really like the season Jose Acosta had, and I've had some, you know, some decent scouting reports on him, but he's just so far away. Um, betting on him without a long track record or him being, say, you know, a first-round pick or a guy who got a seven-figure signing bonus uh, when he signed a couple years ago. It's tough to really be like, oh, yeah, this guy, this is going to be the guy I'm going to choose over the guys that are already in the upper levels of the minor leagues having plenty of success. Well, now, Doug, this is the Locked on Reds podcast. We're going to hold you to every prediction and really scrutinize the thoughts that you – no, I'm just kidding. Well, uh, that's fine because I feel like, <laughs> you know, if we're talking about Jose Acosta, I've at least got seven years before any of you are allowed to start talking about it. So, yeah. I think most of us will forget that by then. But uh, <laughs> So what you're saying, though, with Brian O'Grady is you'd rather have him in center field than Jesse Winker? Absolutely. Yeah, I figured so. I th- a- like- absolutely on that one. There's a lot of guys I think we'd rather have in center field playing defensively than Jesse Winker. Not to say that we don't want to see Jesse Winker a lot, just not in center just, field. Just not in center, right. I want to see him at the plate and, you know, left field, designated hitter, uh, you know, the positions he can play, not not ones that he, he can't. I, I really like Jesse Winker, uh, but he's just not a center fielder. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm with you there. All right. That's going to do it for this first installment of the Minor League Review for 2019. We'll be back in the next episode. We're going to talk about the Lovell Bats and the Chattanooga Lookouts. And I have a hard-hitting question for Doug Gray to answer. Uh-oh. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.